Hello and welcome to the Manifest Image podcast. This is the podcast that takes manifestos as its subject matter. Together, we'll be looking at manifestos, the works that they inspired, and the various ideas that spread across their different productions. I'm Thomas Greengrass. And I'm Ariel De La Garza. Right, so this is the first one that we've done with a slightly different format. Instead of leading straight out with declarations or selections from a manifesto, this time we have our intro. People got in touch with us and said... We're profoundly confused by what you're doing. Who... Who, who are these people? You is, guys is speak so strangely. Yeah. Is that what you think? So clearly not. But <laughs> this week, what are we looking at, Thomas? This week, we are looking at, at a little bit like Kill the Moonlight uh, in our second episode. Uh, we've actually got two manifestos that we'll be mm-hmm. directly focusing yeah. on. We have Futurism and Woman by Margaret Vin, uh, or Wynne uh, Nevinson, which was uh, published in The Vote, mm-hmm. 31st of December, 1910. Happy New Year. And uh, <laughs> Contempt for Women by F.T. Marinetti, which was uh, from Le Futurism, um, 1911, published 1911. So this, of course, will be tying into our last couple of podcasts on Saint-Point, the Manifesto on Women, Futurist Woman, and Manifesto on Lust. And we'll be seeing how that intertwines. But also, we'll be moving into, because these, especially Contempt for Women, it uses that as a springboard into their political regime. Yes, which which is which is something. Mm. It sure is something. And I think in the next podcast as well, the, the our episode after this, um, where we'll be looking at um, war, the only hygiene of the world, which will contrast futurism against anarchism, as well as multiplied man and the reign of the machine. But anyway. That's next week. That is next week. But uh, so we've got this kind of duality going on here mm-hmm. um, uh, with these next two episodes that spring off of Sam Poin's mm-hmm. uh, efforts on women. And we're looking to dive in deeper into futurism and into women and into uh, some key ideas. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So let's dive straight in. A selection from Contempt, Contempt for, for Women. women. Yeah. We who deeply despise politics are happy to abandon parliamentarianism to the spiteful claws of women, for it is precisely to them that the noble task of killing it for good has been reserved. Oh, I'm not being in the least ironic. I'm speaking very seriously. Woman, as she has been shaped by our contemporary society, can only increase in splendor the principle of corruption, which is intimately related to the principle of the vote. And, I should add, parenthetically, that we futurists are such fighters that we won't have children, We who love the heroic instinct, we who sincerely want every masterpiece to be burned with the cadaver of its author, we who feel only repugnance at the idea of striving for immortality, for at bottom it's no more than the dream of minds vitiated by usury. Thank you very much for that, Eric. I think I'm quite happy we uh, changed the introduction because he says some pretty spicy stuff at the front there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, so let us know. Um, We have our... um, Twitter at manifesto, manifesto image, image. <laughs> at manifesto image. Yep. Uh, you can also contact uh, DM us via Instagram as well. And the of course, you can always podcast. mail things directly to Thomas at his home address. No, <laughs> the manifesto. No, the manifest image podcast is our Gmail. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to get in touch with us. As for the second manifesto, futurism and woman, it's actually so short that uh, it doesn't really make much sense to read an excerpt from it. So, that being said, there's something you want to say, Thomas? No. Do you have a summary for us, Thomas? <coughs> Funny you should ask, Ariel. Uh, Funny you no, should ask. He's being so coy. I know. Uh, so, from Futurism Nevinson, fantastically interesting. This is uh, to just give a little bit of context yes. very quickly. Not only is it published on the day before the new year, um, it's in response to uh, Marinetti giving a speech at the Lyceum Club, mm-hmm. uh, which is a speech that we will probably touch on later on when we look at um, uh, futurism and English art, and we'll tie that in. Uh, uh, but for the moment, it just suffices for us to know that she is responding. She's listened to him giving this talk, and 
She's very succinct and very mm-hmm. precise. And I think you and I, Ariel, should be ashamed that apparently in one evening, bricks. yeah, yeah, in one evening, she has uh, gathered. Some, then again, she's got it straight from the horse's mouth. But <laughs> um, she she gathered such a precise uh, uh, understanding of what futurism is. We. She doesn't know everything, and we're going to actually touch on the things that she doesn't quite understand yet. But this is my pithy summary. Mm -hmm. Peaking intro plus context. English speech. Mona Lisa smiles to the same old story. Nevinson's sharp summary of futurism. Past war. New God. Industrial greatness. Brute force. A diagnosis of woman. The snake-like coils, as she understands Marinetti to think of women. Praise of suffragette, she is unclear as to why. Perhaps, she thinks, he knows that there are suffragettes in the audience. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know why. She praises them. Erotic woman condemned, and machine-governed, and womanless world. Hence, I introduced Mm. a little bit about next week when we're doing the... Mm -hmm. And then... uh, since you've also seemed to be asking me, Thomas, what about contempt for woman? Yes. The FT Marinetti piece. We've had Nevinson. What mm-hmm. happens there? I'll tell you. Our summary there is, we begin with tyranny of love. Woman conceived as dot, 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 stayed love, stops the multiplied man. Outrageous claims that love is the poet's creation and a never-ending violent battle between the sexes. We withdraw love today, say the futurists. Mm. Allies are suffragettes. Lust is out. No necessary inequality between the sexes. Suffragette success and prediction. So this is my pithy summary that, yep, he thinks the suffragettes will get the vote and that... Something will go wrong with it. Welcome to the government. Parliamentary democracy. (laughs) This is where we dive into that. And lawyers are sophists. They don't see the big picture. Venom. Venom against women. Rejection of Hegel and Marx. And finally, death of the family. Wow. I know. A little bit of a longer pithy summary there. Because we've got the two. And there's such... It was pithy, yes. (laughs) Formally, I think there are some fascinating elements that we'll get into. Yes, definitely. But, uh, uh, so, what do you think? Oof. What did you think of them? I now that, now that we've laid out a bit, a bit what, I, what, either, what, bo- what each is like, what did you think? Did you I like liked them? both of them. Yeah. I thought, in terms of their writing style, both are actually very enjoyable to read, very pleasant to read, very yeah. interesting to read. Nevinson's very quick. Yes, yeah. it, it's barely a page. Yeah. Barely a side. Um, it's it's. If you want to, if, if I could describe my notes to you that I've got on the side here, I've got. It begins with Nevinson begins with another peaking line, a delightful critique, the English speech, worship of the past, war, and femininity and the vote, erotic women and the male gaze. And uh, the fact that people have helplessly changed the past. Mm-hmm. It's for one page to, to have that many notes as ideas. Or to trigger those kinds of ideas as notes, rather. Yeah, it's very impressive. Yeah. It, it, it's very succinct. It's very succinct. And Contempt for Woman is, by F.T. Marinetti is longer, but even more packed. And Contempt for Woman is almost misguided in its, in its title. It's provocative. It is provocative. provocative I think he did change it later on. Mm -hmm. I think he changed the title. Really? What to? Yeah. um, To not not as much contempt for woman or contempt to the concept of woman. Not really women specifically. uh, Trust me, I'm not such a douche. Is that (laughs) that what he changed it to? Why have we suddenly started using these bad words? We started off so well. That's not a bad word. We started off so well. What happened here? What happened here? Um, uh, no, what, I, what he eventually called it, um, it was translated uh, into the Italian 
uh, and when translated into English, it becomes against love and parliamentarianism. Mm, that is a lot more euphemistic. Although Nevinson does commend him for not being euphemistic whatsoever. And no, but given what contempt for women is, I mean, I gave yeah. that pithy summary, and so much of it seems to then move on to. It uses women, as the futurists understand as a, them, as a, foil, as a jumping yeah. off point. Yeah. Um, do you want to actually uh, uh, read out the Italian name of it? Contra l'amore e il parlamentarianismo. That's not right. Contra l'amore e il parlamentarismo. Beautiful. Yes. And so, yeah, he does, he does change the title um, because he doesn't think actually Contempt for Women quite covers what it deals with. I think the second title is better, don't you, in terms of... Because so much of it is actually dedicated to this... Specifically to parliamentarianism and, yeah, and being against it. Yeah, this is where he starts. Yeah. And I think these are really... This is where our podcast really comes into its own because so many people will look at the f early works of futurism, the early manifestos, and think, we understand their ideas. We know what divisionism is. Mm -hmm. We understand this idea of the slap and the punching fist. Yeah. It's here that he starts to show his cracks. And I think here's where I start to, here and in, in, in the coming ones, where I start to get a little hazy as to what he really means. I okay. don't really get. I don't. I think he he starts to get a little bit muddied up. Um, but shall we talk about contempt for women specifically? What do you think? Well, uh, do you know what? I would rather just, um, first of all, just very briefly cover futurism and woman. Yes, yes, no, certainly. Uh, just very certainly, briefly, certainly, because certainly. Uh, perhaps it's best to... I mentioned that little pithy, in my mm -hmm. pithy summary. The, and woman, like Mona Lisa of old, smiled and smiled the while she listened to the same old story. Mm -hmm. And that same old story is giving in uh, quotation marks there. Yeah. What do you think that means? Well, that... that Whilst it seems to Marinetti that he's saying something oh so radical and new, mm. it is but crass misogyny repackaged. And she's right. Yeah. Yeah. She's right. But she so does the appreciate Lyceum, She does. She the Lyceum Club. Okay, yes. Was, is, and continues to this day, an international organization of uh, women's writers. And women's, uh, just women interested in the art, sciences, so on and so forth. So, ah. uh, yeah, so he went, exclude, I mean, that's, again, a very futurist thing to do, to go and give a provocative speech against women, or broadly against the modern the concept futurism. of women, at, then exactly to them at a women's organization. So mm -hmm. I think the suffragette uh, parenthetical later on might be wryly ironic. So do you want to just touch on that uh, very quickly now then, just after... I, I just love the fact that she mentions the own Mona Lisa there mm -hmm. uh, with that very coy smile that she offers. Yeah. And it's, it's rather stoic and placid, the Mona Lisa. And so you, you get this idea of Nevinson here as the Mona Lisa of, of old, sitting there listening to Marinetti, being very impressed, but ultimately thinking... This guy's not offering anything new. Not really. In terms of his thoughts on women. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, so the, the bit on suffragettes, uh, I'll read it out. Sure. <clears throat> Signor Marinetti would be the first to admit it in his raillery against women, the war against those whose pernicious influence is by no means the least unimportant part of the futurist programme. In his denunciation of her snake-like coils, which have ever choked the noblest ideals of manhood, Signor Marinetti still found time to extol the suffragette. Had he an idea that among his Lyceum audience were more than one or two women who would answer proudly to that title? So that's the bit. I don't mm -hmm. think, because in the next line where she says, but although it was not the suffragette's desire for liberty that aroused the signor's admiration, but merely her method of enforcing her demands. So the fact that both the suffragettes and Marinetti are very keen on, say, more aggressive, violent, brutal, um, more uh, forceful rather than intellectual debate... Mm -hmm. 
they're more out there immediately. It's that idea of the slap and the punching fist. Uh, That he appreciates that. And that's what she seems to be suggesting here. She's not quite clear. She even, I mean, that whole thing Mm. about that had he an idea that among his, that's all in parentheses. Yes. So at this time, he seems to celebrate the suffragette, but it may not be quite clear to his audience why he does it. Whereas mm, in contempt for women, yes, yes. by he's, he's very women, clear but about it, why. Yeah. yeah, and if we can give a little bit of a spoiler, the reason he thinks that uh, he's very keen on the suffragette is not only because the suffragette seems to be uh, uh, using very brutal uh, methods, but also because he thinks that the, the the suffragette will get the vote. This is that bit about he has this prediction. He thinks they will get the vote, but that this will ultimately undermine the very notion of parliamentary democracy, yes, which he already uh, thinks is an illusion. So he thinks that this will just make it even more obvious that actually... Yes, because women are oh so silly, they'll, they'll, they'll vote away everything that, that would matter. Yeah. Or just in terms of their behaviour. I mm-hmm. mean, he's very, he doesn't think that anyone already has it. Mm-hmm. He thinks that uh, he's very critical about even those who think that they've currently got it. So the men who are voting at the time, he's not keen on them. He thinks that, yeah, it's still an illusion even for them. All of it is an illusion. He hates the very idea. Right, right. Just it's, it's, an illusion. It. it's an illusion, but he thinks that this will bring about its sudden collapse. Yeah, that it will suddenly right, unveil exactly. it properly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then also, I think that behind it all, because when he really dives in at the end of Contempt for Woman... It's really that he wants to undermine the family. Mm-hmm. And we've already touched on this with Sam Poir, not in terms of undermining the family, but in terms of a radically different understanding of intimate familial relations and sexual relations. Sam Poir, of course, gives that uh, example of Catherine Sforza, who points at... Um, and her crutch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and says, you know, when her son is being threatened... And she says, I have the mole to make more. Mm-hmm. This is precisely the kind of relationship that Marinetti wants to put forward. He wants to see, he wants to see the family completely crumble. Mm. He wants to see it fall apart. He hates uh, sentimental love. That's the whole thing about it's the product of the poets. Yeah. Yeah, it is. He does hate sentimental love. Sort of. Sort of. What do you, I don't what, think he really does. But I think that's in the next... In the next Future weeks when we see that. Okay, I see. I he's think bit, he's 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 odd, but yeah. No, I mean he he does nominally hate fun, like uh, sentimental love. Mm. He finds it absolutely terrible. Um, that's the core of his his problem with women. Uh, but can yeah. we also uh, just before we do sure. formally move on to contempt for women properly? I think the other big part of Futurism a Woman by Nevinson is her brief summary of futurism Mm -hmm. which is um, oh the the, the young men yeah Yeah. the the members of the society are young men in revolt at the worship of the past they are determined to destroy it and erect upon its ashes the temple Mm -hmm. of the future if indeed anything so antediluvian as a temple is to survive in the good time coming (laughs) predicted by futurists war seems to be the chief tenant in the gospel of futurism. War upon the classical in art, literature, music. War upon archaeology, upon all ologies, and antiquarianism of every kind. The god of this new religion is industrial greatness, and the second in command, brute force. She got this from one night. I mean, that, was, that is pretty neat. Yeah. Although, why were you laughing? Did I mispronounce something? No, no, I was laughing because, well, I mean... Because the listener obviously can't see the text in front of them. So it actually says war with several A's and a few R's. Um, So that was an accurate description. (laughs) (laughs) Words in freedom, right? (laughs) War. Um, but no, she, she. I mean, she nails it. I think that's that's I, exactly war it. War against um, everything, and she. I think she has that great scope here. Mm-hmm. A, a fantastic uh, critic of it. Member um, side, young and men and revolted the worship of the past, and that's it, yeah. We know, and this is before Passist Venice. Yeah, before Passist Venice. I mean, the Futures Manifesto really lays all this out. Yeah, I know, but it's not been nailed home precisely. True, but the bellicose language is there. Yes. 
um, however, fist of war, all these things. she does give her hygiene of the world a summary here, which is the god of this new religion is industrial greatness and the second in command, brute force. Mm. Oh, and in case anyone doesn't know what antediluvian is, that means um, that actually means pre-deluge. Yes. So just very old or antiquated. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, if indeed a temple, because she uses the example of, the t- we want to erect upon it's actually the temple of futurism, if a temple isn't too pre-old yeah. of an idea. Yeah. But yeah, what do you think of the industrial so, greatness and second-in-command brute force? I mean, that's... Th- that's the god. Yes. Yeah. Uh, obviously, she, she, she isn't giving a particularly sympathetic look to futurism. Um nor did Marinetti propitiate one. I guess energy, I would maybe add in there. But yeah, brute force, that seems about right. Mm. Brute force implies energy. Yeah, but it, that's it the second in command. Uh, so mm-hmm. I actually wrote here in my right, you, you think wrong. that industrial greatness should be the second in command? Yeah, I do, first, I do. The first brute force. Yeah. I, think, I, I think, yeah, energy or brute force is actually uh, more appropriate as the first. It's interesting because, yes, but a really deep aesthetic core of futurism isn't just energy. It really is industrial greatness. Mm. It really is staying out all night, which comes back. In, in, in future things, right? It, it, it's like electricity and machines and all these things. So th- there, there is almost that tension, I think, that I've always felt between the beautiful animalistic language and the cold, hard, industrial future that he was hurtling towards and, and that he wants to happen. Mm. Um, because obviously in that industrial future... There will be no animalistic language. And yet here... There is no poetry, and there yet, is no passion. But here we actually have... Because um, in the first manifesto, and we mentioned this also in the second, the Let's Call the Moonlight, where suddenly this zoomorphic language becomes ambivalent. But in the first, it is, for the most part, greatly, greatly forward-looking to futurism. Yes. It is It is used, it is called upon. They, he actually relies on this naturalistic fallacy where, yeah... We want these serpent-like galvanic breaths. Mm-hmm. That, that's what we want. And here she quotes him seemingly directly from his speech at the Lyceum Club, where saying like, oh, what's the problem with her snake-like coils? Mm-hmm. So he's using this, uh, this animalistic yes, vital language. Yes, but snake-like coils is not necessarily... That's vital, though. It's vital, but, you know, snakes are... I mean, okay, I was about, I was about to say something. I was about to say something super stupid. I was going to say, well, snakes are weasels, you know. <laughs> but you know, snakes are <laughs> yeah, snakes are weasels, Thomas. <laughs> the, are they? Can't you see? Yeah, I know well, the dude, bats are dude, the snakes, rodents of the sky. Snakes are treacherous, right? Snake-like. Co- I mean, obviously, that's when you call someone a snake. It's not. A, it's not. Yeah, a but compliment. you said snake-like coils. Yeah, because snakes, you know. Yeah, but it's already that image dude, in the. Dude, in the, no, in no, the, no, no, no. In Let's no, Kill no, the Moonlight. I, I'm, I'm right. In Let's Kill <laughs> yeah. the Moonlight, we have the image of them, like, grabbing onto these brave heroes' legs as he's trying to march off into a sea of blood. Yeah, exactly. And, I know, and like, a treacherous, like a treacherous snake, they're holding back the men. I don't think they're treacherous. Dude, it's, it's just def- more like you can't escape their clutches. They're snake like treacherous clutches. <laughs> But he in the first... And this no, is the no, year. No, 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 no. It's... I, it, come on. It's just... It's not a compliment. It's not a compliment. Uh, no, it's not a compliment. It's no, it's not a compliment. It, it, he, he, but he I mean... like that. Like, you know, like, I know, uh, but I, I think that this which, is a which, disaster on his... Part. On Marinetti's part? Yes. Yeah, he blew it. It's probably the wrong... I it mean, is well, the wrong. That's what he he's meant. not being consistent. Oh, you think he's not being consistent? Yeah, yeah. in terms of his imagery. Mm. In one of the other um, manifestos... Uh, uh, we've already mentioned this, like, he, he, in Let's Call the Moonlight, the sun is the great big thing, and yes, that stands yeah. for a thing. Yeah. And suddenly, the sun, big problem. Or rather, <laughs> not so great a thing. And what? I mean, come on, be it consistent. Would be, it would be Don't kind mix of... your metaphors, especially when they're these great... Maybe this is when he's wanting to overthrow mm. the symbolists. Right. He's going, I'm not going to be symbolist. I'm not going to allow you to have he's any starting, he's starting to realize. Yeah, he's starting to realize that the symbolism is pretty great. And he's totally, totally doing the symbolist thing the whole time anyway. Yeah, I know. It would, it would be pretty wonderful if they were coherent, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> 
like I, now that you said it, I, was, I started. I started having. Do you know a, what a I mean? Of fancy, this is that year. Yeah, it would have been. This is that year. I know. Would have been brilliant. It would be so much more. Yeah, it would. But yeah. We're now back and... Uh, it would have been so much more powerful if they were totally coherent. But before we move on, I want to mention um, something that I, I just kind of came to me. There's this very famous poem. I mean, it's very famous in Mexico. It's not famous here. Mm. Um, by this fantastic um, poet, Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz from 1650, so 50 to 90 can so, we expect to see him in the description below? Her. Her. Sorry, her. the way that you pronounce I'm so Poet. sorry. Yes. I'm but so that's the sorry. entire point. Yeah, no, you can... You, well, I'll, I'll put it there. It's fantastic. So she's massively well-known in Mexico. Yeah. Um, not anywhere else, which is a crime, because she's fantastic. Are you going to do a, a live translation? No. Okay. <laughs> no, it's... I, and I say no because it's actually a bit difficult to translate. Okay. But anyway, you foolish men who lay the guilt on women, not seeing you're the cause of the very thing you blame is the start of this poem. It's always translated as you foolish men, but that's not right. Um, the word is terco, um, which is like, is it terco? No, okay, well, in any case, I've, I've, I've looked into how to translate it, and it would be something more like pig-headed, because it's both like stubborn, but foolish, but stupid. Um, it gets translated as men. It gets tra- no. It gets translated as foolish. Oh, okay. Foolish men. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's it's more like pig-headed and so on. But so, can I lead us off at a tangent here very briefly? Uh, no. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I looked up the word cretin. Oh, did you? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. And um, so, as a history of an insult, it, it stems from apparently a description of uh, someone who's. Uh, has a deformed skeleton or something that's oh, a dwarfish that's figure. Made me sad. However, You've made the me word in terms sad. of its old etymology actually yes. comes from Christian. Oh, that's so great. cretin. Oh, <laughs> fantastic! Oh, thank God. I know. I, I thought know, I was going to have to stop calling people cretins. I know. For a bit there. But, I, <laughs> but I, apparently, I it's going. Christian oh. in the sense of human being. Oh, I know. I uh, so it's you've got Christian human being, and that even those who have this. Uh, um, uh, a different stature hmm. that they are also humans and also cretins uh, sorry Christians yeah, oh, there you go <laughs> they're all I mean, cretins I mean because it, cretin I guess it would be a poor English pronunciation of chrétien yeah of the French which is the French for Christian yeah yeah and so that's it but I thought I because no, you that's like actually that good. word that's a, well. yeah, I, I do it's a good word damn I don't think I can use it now if it refers to some Poor hobbled person. No, back but in the it day. also it all. I mean, dunce refers to uh, is taken from Dun Scotus. Oh, it is. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna keep his calling, followers gonna uh, keep calling people dunces then. Yeah, that's where that comes from. Those these hard, hair, these yeah. nitpicking philosopher types afterwards who were like rendered like uh, they're discussing the meaning of a teacup. <laughs> the idiots. <laughs> idiots. Yeah, I saw a Dun Scotus book in the uh, bookshop today. Yeah, no, Dun Scotus is great. Read again. Great, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to read him. So, and anyway... <laughs> Fiend! <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, but yeah, I yeah, no, like I, I did. That was, that was a good digression. Um, but I, I, just thought, I just thought of the, the very... That's the first stanza of that poem, because that's exactly what Marinetti falls under, just like mm. men at the pub do all the time when they talk about their crazy girlfriend, right? Um, all of these things. It's the same, like, stubborn, pig-headed blindness that he falls into and that's what nevinson says too so and yet but she also accuses uh, the suffragettes of suffering from a similar thing when mm. both of them are against the existence of the and i quote the serpent of old nile type of woman now oh, what the fuck does what uh... so this like, this is the, what does that the erotic mean? woman this is the one right. who is in love and this is the one who the, the suffragettes are apparently the more sort of, you know, in terms of Sampoir's language, mm-hmm. okay, this predates Sampoir, but these would be women who have what she called the more masculine elements. These are the ones that go out. This is the Catherine de Sforza who goes, yeah, kill them. I don't care. I've got the uh, ability to produce more. It's that kind of brutal one. The one that doesn't cling to her husband and say, yes, uh, oh, you yeah, must yeah. do I mean, this. She's not against the suffragettes. She's not, Nevinson is not against the suffragettes. No, she? but yeah. she says... Uh, no, she uh, just says that, that they're both in one in decrying them, it's just that Marinetti doesn't understand 
his role, well, I mean, he wouldn't understand that, that far because he's against it, but he doesn't understand the reason for, for that, necessarily. She, she, is, she does say that, this, as she understands it, the suffragettes are like that. That they also think that, yeah, this yes, erotic no, no, no. woman is no, a bad no. idea. No, 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 exactly. But, but their, their reason for decrying it or their, I guess, their full-fleshed-out ideas surrounding it are very different, right? Yes. Marinetti doesn't see that, I guess, that men are the problem, <laughs> right? Whereas the suffragettes do, right? But while the futurists hold women responsible for what they consider a degenerate type of man, mm. the suffragette maintains that the erotic woman... Uh, is a product of man's absolutism, a product that is declining rapidly along with man's unlimited control of the things that matter. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference in diagnosis. No, very much. And and I think just to sum up then, um, Mm. we should look at the final bit where uh, Signor Marinetti declares that above and beyond everything else, futurism looks forward to a machine-governed and womanless world, a world in which yeah. even the human race may be generated by mechanism and where everybody will be of masculine gender. But this, say the learned biologists, will be only a, rever- a reversion to the very ancient past of which futurism is the sworn foe. And if there is to be but one sex to carry on the human race, that sex, by virtue of its office, must be female. So that, I think, is where <laughs> Nevinson comes into her own. Great. In yeah. that final bit where she, she offers that. But in terms of futurism... Oh, there's there's, pushing, there's oh, one oh, more bit I have to mention here. Yeah. I just I loved it. The futurist, like the man of the past and present, <laughs> is still, to a practical woman, the illogical animal. <laughs> yeah. No, and so... That's great. <sighs> You do get that, and it's so it is punchy again. It's mm. the Nevinson piece is great reading, um, and it's so short. Um, but that, I think in that last line, you actually get um, her view comes through. But also in 1910, we get a suggestion that Marinetti is looking forward to this idea of the machine human being. Uh, mm. Of you know, he whilst he hates love, as we'll see in Contempt for Women. Um, he also actually hates sex, and this is the whole thing that um, he doesn't mind it so much as a necessity for the reproduction of the human race. Mm-hmm. He doesn't that he thinks is a necessary evil, but very unlike Saint-Point, and this is why Saint-Point pushes so much against him, says lust is a force, mm-hmm. and you can have. Although even she is going, but you don't need to have any family relations; mm-hmm. they can be completely cut. Sure. Whereas, uh, so she seems to have this idea that you can have lots of, you can be pregnant, you can have like natural births. Here we actually have in 1910 the idea that Marinetti is looking to sort of almost unnatural births. Yes. These artificial births and these machine humans. I mean, that's in his novel, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I thought that that's, that's fantastic to mention since it's so early. Mm-hmm. It's so early. It's 1910. This is the same year as the, uh, the first manifesto. Yeah. And um, yeah, his novel had come out the year before. Yeah. And then and next week we're looking at machine man uh, or multiplied man. Um, and we've already introduced this idea of the hybrid human, which mm-hmm. is our idea. Um, possibly synonymous, but I think we're going to use it a little bit more uh, vaguely, a little bit more openly. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. definitely. Well, because uh, the, the machine man might end up being a little bit more specific, especially when we look to the, to the ones next week. But let's, let's now turn to Contempt for Woman. Let's do it. So, Contempt for Woman does change quite a bit. It's n- there are no declarations in this one. Not quite. It's not obvious. It's not obvious. And... What did you think? I mean, I agree with you that this is that this is a bad title. Yeah. Is, so we already know the other title. title. It yeah. leans into ultimately going I mean, to even, parliamentarianism. Even, yeah, even the first the first line. It is the hatred. It is this hatred for the tyranny of love that we have, that we have we expressed, that we have that we expressed with the laconic phrase "contempt for woman." So immediately they're they're talking about sentimentalism again. They're talking about things bathed in moonlight that are the problem. No. Exactly. They're contextualizing what they mean by contempt for women. So almost the title is misleading and they try to rectify it in the first line. It's still a very punchy first line 
because I mean it is this hatred for the tyranny of love that we have expressed that we wow it is terribly written isn't yeah it? it is yeah. terribly why written is that's that written like that that's why I stumbled it, and here, yes, here you were again. thinking oh oh this area I know we've read can't this several read. times and, and you know oh, my goodness. illiteracy is none of your concern Thomas okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing perfectly fine thus far uh, but yeah, uh, um, with the laconic phrase "contempt for woman," so what does he mean? It's, you can almost substitute "contempt for woman" in that, uh, uh, given this first line, as the title for um, uh, "hatred for the tyranny of love." Mm-hmm. That would be an adequate title by substitution, yes. don't you think? Yes. Given that first line, and then we immediately move in to this idea of, and this was why I then said we've got tyranny of love, but then. Woman as woman and woman as love. He seems to be moving back and forth. This is a very complicated manifesto. Mm-hmm. He introduces so many diverse ideas. And one of the things that he, he suggests later on is that, um, that there is nothing fundamentally. This is what I read, uh, uh, rendered as mm-hmm. there is no necessary inequality between the sexes. He recognizes this. However... He does think that in the last 200 years, contingently, there is great inequality of the, te- of the sexes. Yes. Uh, uh, because they haven't suffered the same kinds of things. We can push back against him with this and think that he's talking absolute nonsense. Um, but it is interesting that at the very heart, even Marinetti thinks that fundamentally there is no distinction. And we kind of saw between, this... Between we, men and women. No, that, that, yeah, we that's saw this true. in Kill the Moonlight that's as well. That's true, like yeah, Freeing yeah. the mad men and the mad women and yeah. all of them are pursuing this, you know, because that's the great metaphorical manifesto. And you see this in, obviously, in, in Saint-Point as well, right? Yeah. That even Marinetti seems to start to have the, the, the distinction between gender role or at least the impact of society in some vague way and the not that i guess um so he doesn't immediately think make a a, i don't know what to call it i mean it might might be a naturalistic fallacy also or just some kind of fallacy he he equivocates terribly yeah but he doesn't tend to he's not he's not an essentialist i think he doesn't seem to be a like biological essentialist no about gender or anything in that in that sense right he's more he starts to see the problems, but he doesn't go all the way. And then again, he wouldn't, because he doesn't think justice has any merit. He thinks justice is terrible. You know? So, so that's, I think that, that, that fits in with his general belief. You know, he speaks, As for the supposed inferiority of women, we think that if her body and spirit had, for many generations past, been subjected to the same physical and spiritual education as a man's, it might be legitimate to speak of the equality of the sexes. But it hasn't, and since he uh, does not care particularly about justice, then it is of no concern. But I think it is interesting to see that, because... This is when mm. we're starting to dive into the nitty-gritty of futurism, and it's going to only get worse, I think, from here when we eventually turn to things yeah, like the politics. The, exhibitors the politics the... are really not good here. Yeah. I know, but uh, I think this is really important to understand when... Because mm. when we were first looking at it, we talk about this energy, the raw energy, but then when we see it applied to specific cases yeah. and his uh, nuances that he applies, and then also the nuances applied between the different futurists, such as we'll see in uh, the exhibitors to the public uh, and later works, like this, this whole idea of the plastic. This is when futurism, I think, really, really starts to become novel. Mm. All of this has almost been preliminary up to now. Yeah. Uh, and it's so strange because these are the famous works. These are the ones that everyone reads and thinks, oh, these are the ones that are groundbreaking. And that then lead to Dada and surrealism, and the, but no, it's it's in these slightly later works, not the super late works, mm-hmm. but around uh, uh, these lesser known works like from the Futurism, but um, also around sort of nineteen fourteen, nineteen fifteen, where we start to get these plastic foundations starting to come out and really being developed, that we get the idea of almost something that foresees something like social media and Mm -hmm. the online world. Of course, they didn't exactly see that, but the idea that the canvas itself is outdated Mm -hmm. and that, uh, you know, almost the whole point of the futurist uh, uh, manifesto of painting and trying to... That's wrong. We shouldn't be discussing how to have paintings done right or how to have 
theatre done right, or poetry, all of these mediums are wrong because they inherently are outdated. Yeah. And you start... To, and, and so, th- although this is looking quite far ahead now, we start to sort of see these deeper concepts that lie beneath futurism. It's one thing to suddenly say, oh, yeah, they're all about cars and the great industry and things like that. And yet they seem to sort of be intimating towards something deeper. And here you've got the idea of Marinetti looking at, and he's already got it in um, Nevinson's mm-hmm. work, of the uh, the human beings that don't need to be uh, reproduced naturally. He, he again, yeah, yeah, of course. He, I mean, it, it's in it's in his first novel that he wrote before the Futures Manifesto. I know, but to see yeah. that it's an idea that he sticks to. Mm-hmm. It's not just a throwaway. No, no, idea. no, 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 no. That's that's an important part for him. I, I mean, I think I think. As we move through this and in next week is yeah. where I'm going to have to start to have my my serious doubts as to uh, the real theoretical basis for his contempt for women. Um, well, because we've got the it's, substitute. It's the tyranny of love. Yeah, it's the thing is, I think that's it's sort of the tyranny of love. Why does he hate the moonlight? Mm, all because of it it's is sentimentalism. Equated. Yeah, but all of it's, it's sentimentalism, equated, right? And so and even Sampoir, she appreciates that okay, sentimentalism. Fine. She but appreciates the that. sentimentalism, sure. But the lust makes no sense. The lust True. is nonsense. I think you're right. The lust is nonsense. We'll see that this week. And so I think, I think Marinetti was just really had some really weird sex stuff. Mm. And just really didn't... I'm, I'm serious. Just really didn't like women and had a really serious problem with I them. I think you're right. I think you're... I, I, mean, I, I, I don't know if he, up, if he was, if he was, was gay or not gay or some different thing. Oh no! I just—I mean, I, I don't know if that's where unlucky. this is going. Uh, maybe I'm like—I mean, he's also rather petulant and yeah. Irritating. I know. I think that that's where he's um, at. But I mean, not wanting women at all, having your delirious, your absolutely insane novel where you fancy birthing your own child out of machine parts or whatever—the guy had some issues. I had mean, some very serious issues. It's but, not but, but totally because, unheard of before then. I no. mean, in Greek myths, you've got all these androgynous Yeah, aspects. I know that. But, but and it's, like with mm-hmm. Semele, um, uh, when uh, she gets burnt to a crisp when seeing Zeus's true form uh, after being tricked by Hera, um, uh, uh, the baby Dionysus survives mm. and Zeus takes him and sews him into his leg. Uh, 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 and this suffices as... And I imagine... The, you know, <laughs> sufficient growth period for the child. Of course, and I imagine Marinetti uh, harkened back to just that episode to justify his incredibly bizarre sexual proclivities. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, for all of their hatred of the past, we already mentioned in the second episode that it's well, he, deeply indebted to well, the Bhagavad Gita. I mean, Marinetti might hate the past, but he really likes all those beautiful rhetorical tricks that make, yeah. the, that make the past so poignant today. And in fact, in Contempt for Women, we have this mention. We feel contempt for women conceived as the reservoir of love, engine mm. of lust, woman poison, mm. woman as tragic bibliote, uh, fragile woman, obsessing mm-hmm. and fatal, whose voice heavy with destiny and whose dreamy tresses reach out and mingle with the foliage of forests bathed in moonlight. Mm-hmm. Again, the moonlight. Moonlight is his the most tresses, steady yeah. image. It is. It is his most steady image. It's unbelievable. It's also, a negative he, he, one. He loves it. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. But structurally... <laughs> I mean, it's the most beautiful part of the whole text. But structurally, we have this... Fant- so he really <laughs> see, does. Uh, see, that's, that, that's another thing. That's another thing with yeah. Marinetti. The whole time. He, he did this with Venice a lot, and I really stress that point there. He says he hates Venice, but he obviously adores it. And he obviously is deeply drawn to it. And he loves the drama of it. He loves the scale, the dramatism. He's, he's in love with it. That's why those texts are completely imbued with it. But if, if we want to be a little bit charitable to him, we see that in the second manifesto, the Kill mm-hmm. the Moonlight, Murder the Moonlight, he says that he, when he's in the plane looking over the forests and that, and he ends up thinking, I remember these things and I still love them. And then mm-hmm. he kind of... like. Uh, regathers himself and says no no forget that forget that you have to destroy it you have to get rid of it so 
so, so he, even you're, in his you're saying, writing, even he in his writing, there is a there is a push and pull. There's a push and but pull. that you have to overcome yourself. And I think this is part of that Nietzschean mm. idea that he, he steals. Mm-hmm. That you do have to kind of almost always overcome yourself. There is that love of destruction of the past, of your own past, mm-hmm. and even of your own inevitable death. Remember in the first one that. Yeah, we'll be we'll be uh, supplanted in ten years' time. They'll find us huddling around an old aeroplane engine, and they'll come and kill us. But yeah. their murder will be all the more disastrous because they will love us so much. Mm-hmm. And so there's this intense vanity and ego, as well as this kind of semi or paradoxical delight and pain in their own destruction. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's. I guess that. He hates Treacle. And and as well he should. Treacle's disgusting. I know. But... Awful. <laughs> Do you want any Treacle, sir? No. <laughs> <laughs> disgusting, yeah. But he is... But he does love the imagery, and he does love things that are a bit Baroque, almost. He, he, he likes that. He loves energy. He, he hates Treacle, which... Which fair, but there's 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 there 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 is some duplicity in in Marinetti in what he uses and what he says. He's he is not he is not above hypocrisy, and I think this is a perfect moment to move into this different thing I want to talk about in the text. Okay. <laughs> well, look back to the unpleasant stuff. Yes. So uh, he at one point calls wom- woman because of uh, the centuries of oppression, which he at least yeah. does seem to uh, last few to, to years. gleam and see. Right. Yeah. He then calls woman says that woman can only be a quote mediocre legislative instrument, <laughs> and he says for just this reason we must enthusiastically defend the rights of the suffragettes at the same time that we regret their infantile enthusiasm for the miserable, ridiculous right to vote. For we are convinced that they will seize the right to vote with fervor and thus involuntarily help us to destroy that grand foolishness made up of corruption and banality to which parliamentarianism is now reduced. So. Ooh, you picked out a big chunk there. That touches on a lot of things. I did, but I, but I think it's interesting. So I want to understand whether... Well, there's two things. One, it's interesting that his that he thinks his cause is well served by people that he has just called a mediocre legislative instrument, and also that are wholly inferior in respect to character and intelligence. Yeah, and it's interesting that he thinks that those are his buddies. Yes, that somehow this is good for his movement. Well, we see this in Nevinson. So th- she's not sure. Sure. Why is I mean, he, he, he thinks, uh, celebrating? I mean, this. He so this because, is 1911. Yeah, I guess because they will do terribly ham-fisted, stupid things that will make the rest of society realize parliamentarianism has been a colossal, crass failure, and we will do away with it since the rabble have burst forth into the libraries or whatever. Something like that, I right. think. Right, I think that's... Yeah. Yeah, I think something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or just the very idea that women would get the vote is so abhorrent to people's minds, or in this case, men's minds. That they would that toss they out would, exactly. parliamentarianism. But yeah. uh, I doubt that it is that. I think it is more that, yeah, that some he just silly ideas so ridiculous, get through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, it could actually be something of the former. It could actually be that all of it's just ridiculous because he, he, he does think that the idea of parliamentary democracy, he, he's not against it in the form that uh, like someone like Socrates was, where it is mm-hmm. the tyranny of the majority, he just thinks that it's an illusion. He just thinks that you're voting in people that you don't know who you're voting in or how you're voting them in or mm-hmm. what they're actually doing. That's where his problem lies. So uh, to, to, yeah. to read it out, parliamentarianism is exhausted almost everywhere. It accomplished a few good things. It created the illusory participation mm-hmm. of the majority in government. Exactly. I say illusory because it is clear that the people cannot be and never will be represented by spokesmen who they do not know how to choose. Sure. And, uh, so uh, that last line of whom they do not know how to choose, this is, this is a little bit of a philosophical problem here mm-hmm. because uh, you get that... Do you have to be taught to know how to choose, or do you have to discover it somehow? Mm-hmm. There's something about that, you know, if you already know how to choose, and there's a, there's a touch like of a, amino a, here. Of a criterion problem of sorts? A little bit. Uh, but also, it seems very clear. The important thing, I think, to take away here is that 
He does already think that parliamentary democracy is a big problem anyway. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you shouldn't get bogged down in the contempt for women. You, uh, we've, we've touched on that a lot, and we should carry on mentioning sure. that. But also, this is the first time, and I think it's our best example, mm. of him suddenly moving into... Politics? Exactly. And yeah. we know where he will eventually move. Yeah, see, see here's, here's where he, he really loses me with the yeah. politics stuff. It's just, just bad. It's just, it's just bad. I've never, I've never been particularly drawn to fascism. No. <laughs> oh, you disagree. But no, he, he disagree says that with, line. Disagree with that, Thomas. <laughs> consequently, the people have always remained estranged from the government. I mean, at this point in time, you could almost think that, no, no, no. I want people to be involved. But it's no, just the doesn't. fact that Parliament... No, no, ah, but what he's written here doesn't suggest mm-hmm. that. That line that I've just read out suggests that you could read him as thinking at this point in time, 1911. Remember, this is not 1939 yet. It's 1911. Remember our MO. One of our things is we're the young little yes. children at the time reading right, we're, it we're, and thinking. We're, right, we're, we're optimistic. Got it. We're idiots and we're reading. <laughs> hey, come on. Uh, uh, Bala and all these others, Severini, <laughs> they, all, they were all part of futurism. I mean, why did we? Paolo Buzzi and all these others. And so many of them moved away from Marinetti mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. Because they, Sampoir, especially. Sure. She, which we've been looking at the last two weeks, she looks at it and even defends it quite staunchly in her own way and then thinks, actually, no. And the well, year after breaks off rather well, look, the thing Well, look, the thing is, if it's not parliamentarianism, yes. what is it? Feudal system. Aha, yes. I mean, it, no matter what you pick, it's going to be... No, he wants it to be something new. Come on. He's not going to do that. That's all backward-looking. You have to be a futurist if you're going to understand him charitably. What is he really looking towards? He might not be looking towards fashion just yet. No, he think, might. I think he, I think he is. No, um, he, but he might. Uh, he probably is as well. Yeah. But he's probably looking towards it in a kind of, I don't know, mechanical energy whim-based way. Mm-hmm. He's going to be. If we want to really see him charitably here, okay. Of course, we know he's full of hypocrisy. Okay. Sure, it's like, sure, sure. We know that from the first one. From the first one, we see that, yes, this thing that he's written on an evening out with friends after, you know, moving between two cyclists and going into a ditch. Yes. And yet it's been rather, uh, su- it's been sufficiently trialed in Italy in different versions before being published in France. But let's pretend it's not. How is he thinking? Hmm. How is he thinking? <laughs> I don't know. He's not, he's, it's not that clear. No. It's not very clear. He's, he's very vague. Um, which which I, I think is, is, is part of it. Mm. He could almost be moving towards anarchism, which is why Nobody's next not. week we're looking at anarchism. <laughs> why futurists aren't anarchists. Yeah, you're like right. Like the little yeah. tie in there. That was very good. I know. Thank you. So I worked very hard on planning these well, Thomas, ones Thomas, if only you could get the tie-ins for our corporate sponsors to be that <laughs> We would be rolling in it. Yeah. But no, hold on. Let's, let's, let's not move. I want to move back a little bit just to um, the beginning of Contempt for Women, yeah. where I, I introduced her. We feel Contempt for Women conceived as the reservoir of love, engine of lust, blah, blah, blah. So we have that, that long tirade. But then we also have, we feel contempt for horrible and staid love that encumbers the march of man and prevents him from from transcending his own humanity, from redoubling himself, from going beyond himself and becoming what we call multiplied man. Now, here we see the introduction of this phrase, multiplied man. That's its rendition Mm -hmm. in this particular translation. Um, uh, But we see these Nietzschean ideas of transcending your own humanity, moving beyond yourself. uh, And I think this is where the raw energy kind of comes in. But then also we see this one last one. We feel contempt for horrible and stayed love, an immense tether with which the sun changed the courageous earth in its orbit, which would doubtless rather leap at random, run every starry risk. Now, here the problem is, one, the imagery is not consistent. Mm -hmm. We mentioned that, okay, in Let's Kill the Moonlight, Let's Murder the Moonlight, he likes the sun. He wants to reinvigorate the sun. Here, the sun is... Chaining the earth. This is a problem. He's not consistent in his imagery. And also, uh, what I want to say is formally, 
we have that first great line of in this uh, hatred for tyranny we get that example but then we immediately get this rule of three we feel contempt for woman conceived as blah 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 we feel contempt for horrible stay love blah 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 we feel contempt for horrible and stay love blah 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 mm-hmm. I, I struck because you know that I like the forms of these things and I find the forms sure. fascinating and we haven't been doing much on the form no and here we have it and then we actually have a fourth we are convinced that love, sentimentality and lust is the least natural thing in the world. So this is where he mm-hmm. really goes into his tirade against sentimentality and having sure. a big problem of it. So we get this problem, 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 rule of three, and then into a fourth that is our solution. It's, it's kind of this um, hyperfora almost. Mm-hmm. You can almost imagine it as this uh, hypothetical hyperfora where the three are the question sure. or intimating towards a question or a problem. And then the third is the answer. Um, and so rhetorically, I think it's got this great start. Yeah, it um, does. It does. It's a sorry, start. I know. I just wanted no, to no, bring no, that it's, out. No, no, no. It's a beautiful start. It's a beautiful start. Uh, then, though. Uh, but yeah, uh, lust is out. Carnal life will be reduced to the preservation of the species. And that will be so much gain for the growing stature of man. He, he's not keen on sex. As opposed to um, Sam Poin. Yeah. Who is uh, deeply? She tries to really tie it well, together. It, well, it, and and offer it really, the thing is, a the, middle way. The thing is, I think it, it. The more, the more I thought about it, the more I read this, the more lust seemed essential to the whole futurist enterprise. The more, actually, without lust, I don't understand what they're doing. Like des- desire. Is that no? Wh- he doesn't why want would desire either? Then, then, then why? Then why would anyone do anything? Because it's that raw energy, that raw whim. He picks. But I, think, I don't think. But I don't think. But that's not enough. Whim. Whim is not directed at anything. I think actually, in and the whim, multiplied whim is, man, this is where is, it comes out. Yeah, in the multiplied man, I think is really okay. So I could save he, it for that yeah. more because there, I think, is where where without lust, he's lost. We can draw an inter, We can intimate to it where he. Yeah. I think he draws the worst analogy ever which is towards these middle-aged men who've decided to prioritize certain aspects of something like their career. Yeah, yeah, rather yeah. Than getting yeah, that was bachelors. It. That was it, and it looked so depressing. Yeah, yeah. and these are his great but idols. we are careening towards a time limit. We are careening. Is and there anything left here? Yes, so I, I, did, want, I did want to uh, not let him off the hook for the politics at all. So, also, we didn't mention the lawyers. Yeah, the lawyers, you know, whatever. But you know perfectly well yeah. that lawyers are alike in every country. Oh, that's good. I like They that, are yeah. beings deeply attached to everything mean and futile. <laughs> Minds that see only the small daily fact who are wholly unable to handle great general ideas, to imagine the collisions and fusions of races or the blazing flight of the ideal over individuals and peoples. They are argument merchants, mental prostitutes, boutiques for subtle ideas and chiseled syllogisms. Yeah, that's great. I love that's that. why I that's said fantastic. that they're juicy yeah. soft. Oh, no, it's great. They're sophists. And what that is, is broadly... A, what is a lawyer? What is a gondola, Ariel? But a cretin. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's... He, they're, yeah, they're sophists. They're, they're sophists. And that is his main critique of parliamentarism. That it would Rocking read, chairs for Christians. <laughs> for Christians. <laughs> so that's a deep Aren't cut meme. That's See, a deep that's cut meme, yeah. So, like, it's what to do with... Room? Yeah, yeah, it's to do with eloquence and it's to do with sophistry that is his main critique of parliamentarianism, right? Uh, he says, but this idea has completely undermined the value of intelligence by immeasurably exaggerating the worth of eloquence, which is parliamentarianism and so on. Mm. The idea of representation in parliamentarianism. And that's really rich, though, coming from Marinetti, because he is any, everything, he is but eloquence. Yeah. Marinetti is pure eloquence. Um, much to you the detriment two, of two substance. tries at that, yeah. Yeah, I did, but... I mean, I, I'm not pure eloquence. I never said I was. No. He did. Yeah. So I find that obviously very rich. And although we can be, we can be charitable, even at the time, there is no other alternative. Either it's parliamentarianism or something with perhaps a man that is strong standing at the head of the state. Or something I like know, but this. what sort of a man is he picturing here? Oh, he's picturing a beautiful man. And I mean, look at what he's Sam going Quine to be called. To he's forward. going to be called Il Duce, 
Oh, he'll be brilliant. But remember what Sam Poin, I mean, you know, she's trying to push forward this this uh, various different kind of futurist presentation mm-hmm. and saying that there needs to be this kind of balance. Well, I don't think you... In you, her own way, though, because sure, it's not these obvious... See, this is the thing, right? I don't policies. think you necessarily need the worship of a strong man to have futurism at all. Um, I think that's extraneous, and that's just that Marinetti's a fascist, and that's what he likes. I think there is also this idea of a particular kind of reading of Nietzsche. Mm. Um, but before we finish up, I think that there are just uh, uh, three bits mm-hmm. very quickly. We have, as you said at the beginning, oh, I'm not being in the least ironic. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking very seriously. I love the fact that from a formal standpoint, he just comes out with it directly. Yeah. And just says, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, if you think that this is being somehow witty, like people read the prints and they think, oh, is he being kind of tongue-in-cheek in some sort of way? And okay, in the prints, there's something of that, and I wouldn't presume to d- move into discussion of the prints. Um, but uh, you just he just comes out with it here, just like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit like at the ending of the first one where you get that, oh, what, you have objections? Yeah, we've heard them. We don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. But then also we have the mention of, and it's almost throwaway. I know you think that I am amusing myself by offering you more or less fantastic paradoxes. Yet I suspect there's little reason to believe in a logical development of history. Hmm. Now, this is where he's kind of intimating towards people like Hegel and Marx, this kind of, that there is a progression of his, he doesn't believe in that. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, a very important uh, futurist uh, 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 idea that there is no natural progression of history. We're not moving towards some sort of equilibrium point or some sort of uh, um, uh, 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 convergence. Yeah, there's no progress. No, uh, it's it's more just just chaos sort of happening. Um, and then last but not least, we can't forget the ending. The ending is hmm. so important. Um, these paradoxes, I assure you, but gropings into the night of the future. You will admit, for example, that the victory of feminism and especially the influence of woman on politics will, be, will end by destroying the principle of the family. It could easily be proved, but already you're bristling, terrified and ready to oppose me with ingenious arguments because you do not want the family touched at all. Every right, every liberty should be given to woman, you cry, but the family must be preserved. So, uh, so he likes the family. Yeah. uh, So weird. What's fascinating is he's actually criticizing certain uh, uh, feminists and supporters of feminists at the time Mm -hmm. who were saying, oh, yeah, no, every right, but we must preserve the family. And arguably to some extent, I mean, there's been a lot of movement towards um, human enhancement. Yeah. And the idea of like getting extra sensations and all kinds of ideas about artificial insemination and mm-hmm. versions of that. We may be moving towards something like that, where you don't need that sort of uh, reproduction. And so I think that's no, we part definitely, of the thing. We definitely are, and yeah. arguably the family is already... Is, I mean, Plato, mm-hmm. back in the Republic, is already suggesting that children get taken away and everyone has to kind of imagine that they are the parents of the child. Sure. Sure. So this kind of out-of-the-way... M- strange thinking is not without precedent well no but i mean marx didn't like the family either did he no not particularly so it's but it's fascinating that that's i think this is where he really lies his hatred uh, of of lust and everything it's really i think he hates the family the family or no because he likes procreation he's fine with that no he's not fine with that he thinks it's a necessary evil well it's a necessary evil i guess but he the carnal lust will be relegated just to that Right, just to that. It's just... It's a necessary evil. Exactly. But I guess an evil nonetheless because you're still doing the lust. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't really like any of it. He doesn't think... Sampoir thinks that actually desire and, uh, well, she's and right. sexual yeah. erotic spirit is. But he, and as he thinks the suffragettes, and yeah. as Nevinson thinks the suffragettes, are not keen on that. They think it's this poet's invention and all this romantic sentimentality uh, and moonlight uh, stuff. May, maybe, maybe. I, I don't know if, if all of them... Maybe, maybe. The suffragettes are oh, well, I know a this, widely varied group of people. Well, we're done in 1910, yeah, down yeah, to one Lyceum evening. Yes, this is true. With Nevinson. So we haven't got the entirety of... We don't have the... It's a wide movement. Thomas, are you saying we don't have the context or historical wherewithal to know what we're talking about? No, I'm saying that as of the time... Good, good. Don't say that, because we can say that. We definitely do. 
As of the time, yeah. yeah. No, our whole point is that we're not supposed to be jumping ahead too much. No, we, we have to always kind of yeah. restrain ourselves. We have to be, yeah. we're, we're, we're muzzled. We're muzzled. Mm. Um, but no, so I, we, we do get this intimation to the family, the family, the family is a problem here, as well as lust. Mm. I would like to discuss further about whether the family is a problem because of lust or whether lust is a problem because of the family or whether he just ultimately hates both. Because he seems to suggest that at both times, mm. one is actually based off of the other. And he's not a, he's not a analytic philosopher. No. So he's not going to be rigorous. But it's interesting, I think, to discuss and to try to piece together. You said that you're lost in terms of what he's trying to now get at. The more we look at these various manifestos, yes. Yes. the more I'm, confusing. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more and more confused um, mm. by him. But what did you think about the actual readings overall? Today? Yeah. They're interesting. interesting. They're interesting. They're interesting. The, again, the politics I struggle with, even yeah. as a uh, young artist at the time. No, as a young artist at the time, I probably would have... Yeah, even then. I, I don't know. I, we, in many ways, we so haven't this, made this enough of a problem out No, of we haven't. I mean, he, he hasn't... The thing, though, is... It's so out of nowhere that you mentioned it. It's out of nowhere. It. Exactly. He hasn't linked it with a... Prof- so I... If, if I'm imagining myself, you know, falling into some kind of uh, fascistic period of youthful, misguided enthusiasm, it would be through a text like Kill the Moonlight. Mm. No? Um, that that I, could, I could get behind. That type of, of poetic, yeah. richly adorned militarism would be That's something... That's our second episode, I could get way. into Go it. Go and here. check that out. Go check that out if you haven't already. Um... Oh, but this, one. yeah, but this, no, this type of lackluster, polemic, eh, come on, I've, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not the best stuff out there. It's not no. snappy and witty. Nevinson's much better. That's mm. to the point. That's, that's good. That's a good text. It still tackles a lot, but um, I do find it fascinating yeah, how but it he does starts it so, with contemporary so women well. and then moves into, yeah, actually, whereas, the whole point of it is, why do I like suffragettes? Mm-hmm. It's actually because I hate parliamentary yeah, but, no, exactly. uh, democracy, and I mm-hmm. think that them getting the vote will actually be the downfall of parliamentary democracy. That's not bad. It's, it's And quick. also the family. Then he says, oh, and parliamentarianism, you know, oh, it's just full of, full of windbags and lawyers. And you think, oh, sure. I mean, hey, who he's hasn't not wrong. heard that? Come on. Yeah, but that's like a pub argument that people have Over been having for 600 years, years. People are still sick of lawyers. <laughs> hey, the lawyers bit's the best part. <laughs> it is by far. <laughs> and, on that, and on that note, against the legal profession, mm. Ariel, I think it's time to end. I agree. Uh, what are we looking at next week? Futurism versus anarchism in War, the Only Hygiene of the World. Again, a selection from Le Futurism. Exactly. Uh, which will, uh, again, tie in with the politics. You can see our link there. But also we've got Multiplied Man and the Reign of the Machine. Again, tying in. So th- these last, uh, the last two preceding episodes tie in very closely to this. And these, this one and the next one after this. Mm-hmm can be seen as something of a tight unit, I think. I agree. Thank you very much for listening.